Hey, Rob. What's up, Mike? How you doing, buddy? We got another um, good show today. Um, this is oh, yeah. Rock Show 76. And um, what's uh, the topic of the day? Who do you got for us this week? Okay, we are talking about the famous Peter Tosh. Okay, the, the great, the late great Peter Tosh passed away in 1980. Uh, you know what's funny? He passed away September 11. Yes, he did. I, Do you I, see that? But it was yeah. like in 1987. Right, right. Well, I mean, September 11th is also uh, Ethiopian New Year. Oh, wow. Yeah, very strange. Uh, you know, he, P- Peter got his start in the Whalers. He, yes. Uh, you know, he played with Bob Marley on the first two albums and the, the Wailing Whalers even before that. And, uh, you know, he had an amazing career. Short career, unfortunately, he was cut short. Um, yeah, uh, and he was always kind of a little bit in the shadow of Bob Marley, but he definitely has amazing reggae music. You know, if 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 Marley was number one in the world, he was number two for a while. Like, um, but he was there in the beginning with Marty, right? When he first started and everything, like he's like one of the pioneers of that. Yeah, thing, right? yeah. When they when they when like Bunny. And 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 Peter and and Bob was still living in Frenchtown in the early '60s. They had put together the band. I'll get into that a little bit. You um, know what's funny that you're saying that and today? Uh, I think you you're the one that put an article on Facebook that Bunny's are uh, missing. Yeah, yeah. Coincidentally, today is uh, well, we're, you know, we record the shows early, so we're still in May. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Bunny, you know, Bunny's wife, uh, she just disappeared in Jamaica. And wow, she's about seventy years old. I think she may have dementia. So let's hope by the time this show airs, they find her. All right. So let me ask you a question about him. Um, what was his real name? You got his real name, right? Yeah, his real name was Winston Hubert McIntosh. And he was born that well. He was born in Jamaica. Was that a poor neighborhood? Well, he was born. He was born uh, in the Westmoreland Parish in 1944. Uh, it's kind of like the western, southwestern kind of section of the island. Uh, you know, in, in in those days, all of Jamaica was poor. Okay, pretty much, uh, unless you were white. <laughs> but but uh, he was the, the the main city that was kind of near him was Negril. Okay, so he wasn't. You know, on the Kingston side of the island, he was on the Negril side of the island. But, uh, you know, he would have a, a troubled childhood. His parents would abandon him as a child. And he kind of bounced around between relatives for the first 15 years of his life. But when he was 15, his aunt died and he ended up in Trenchtown. OK, wow. near, near Kingston. Um, you know, he was always into music, Rob. OK, but. His poverty and the way he was brought up, he was, uh, his aunt, when she was still alive, was very religious. Uh, he kind of pursued music when he could. Uh, there were stories that he once built a guitar on a sardine can, a giant <laughs> Okay. Uh, and he, but, you know, he never had any formal musical training. But, you know, he did know how to play guitar and he did know how to play piano. Uh, he learned Did he learn that himself or was yeah, he self-teach? Yeah. He was self-taught. He, he learned it on his own. One thing that he could do from a kid, from a young age, is he could watch somebody uh, specifically play guitar and just watch somebody for a few hours how they do it and just pick up on it real quick. And that's how he taught himself guitar. There's a story one time where he was watching a guy for a couple hours play like a couple of songs. And then he just took the guitar and, and started playing it exactly the way got, the guy did. He said, the guy wow. said, who taught you how to play? He said, you just did. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, you know, he had that, that knack. Some people have that. So he's a good cloner. He can copy somebody's habits. <laughs> yeah, right. That's pretty much what it is. You see yeah. somebody, what they're doing, then you can copy. It's pretty much like a cloning. Yeah, I mean, I've watched people play guitar, you know, all night, and I can't do that. I just, you know, I can't remember where to put the fingers, you know? So um, let me ask you a question. So he, he was so, he started teaching himself. He started doing all this stuff. 
Um, was his first was his first band was with Bob Marley or who did he start with? Well, yeah, um, the Wailing Whalers was something he would put together with Bob and Bunny Livingston, who became Bunny Whaler. Um, right around the time when he was in Trenchtown, he he would meet a guy named um, Joe Higgs. Yeah, Joe Higgs was part of an R and B group called Higgs and Wilson. And yep. they were, you know, Higgs and Wilson were, were, were great singers, great harmonizers. And uh, he taught uh, Tosh how to play a little bit. It was around this time that he would shorten his name. He would take the name Peter Tosh, short, yeah. for, short for Macintosh. But yeah, that's he, a weird name. How Macintosh, did he get that name Macintosh, like a Macintosh computer? Or Yeah, or a Mac and, Macintosh Apple. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he would meet. The young Bob Marley and the and the young uh, Bunny Livingston, Bunny Whaler, okay, and they would put together the Wailing Whalers, uh, and you know they they had these great harmony skills. Uh, in 1964, they would join up with uh, Junior Braithwaite, and uh, he was a falsetto singer, and then two backup singers, Beverly Kelso and Cherry Smith, and that group would be the Wailing Whalers. So yes, that was the first you know group that he had. Wow. So um, so he, he meet these guys that get together, and Bob Marty was already part of this, right? Because that was pretty much his backup group, right? Yeah. Well, no, you know, they, they weren't. It wasn't a backup group. It wasn't Bob Marley and the Whalers. It was just so they just the, called the Whalers, well, the Whalers called, right? They were called the Wailing Whalers. Okay. okay. Um, and it was a different kind of music. They were playing like a ska kind of music. Yeah, because it wasn't reggae right off the back. It was a no, lot of stuff. They even called it like rock steady and um, R&B and reggae. Well, fir- first came ska, then came yes. rock steady by the mid-60s. And you had that for a couple of years. And then that would morph into reggae. But, you know, Bob and, and Bunny and Peter would be at the forefront of all that stuff. The the thing was, was uh, um, Peter could play guitar and keyboards, like I said. But the yes. other guys couldn't play any instruments. And they were inspired by him. And, you know, Peter actually taught Bob how to play guitar. He had some knowledge of it, but but he taught him how. And, uh, wow. yeah. And, um, you know, they would find themselves with a hit with the song Simmer Down. Okay. Yep. And uh, shout out to Boogie. He was playing that in the park a couple of weeks ago. I saw, I heard him playing that. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh <laughs> And, you know, they would have a few more hit singles. They would be very popular in Jamaica. And um, by 1965, Braithwaite, Kelso, and Smith would leave the band. And it would just be left with Marley and Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh. Now, this was kind of like, if you remember the Bob Marley show we did, this was kind of like a a breakup period. Because Marley would move to Delaware to be with his mom, who recently moved there. And he would kind of like, you know, right before he left, he had married Rita and he was getting interested in the Rastafari faith. Yeah. So were Peter and Bunny. Okay, they the three of them had had, you know, become Rastas or were on the brink of it pretty much. And uh, when uh, Marley came back uh, in 1967, a year later, okay, he would be, you know, he would have his dreads and growing his dreads. And he would be a Rasta and Peter and Bunny were waiting for him. And they had, you know, they had spoken during that time. And, you know, they had realized they would all just be Rastafari. Um, The band would get back together under a new name. It was called the Whalers. Yes. Got rid of the whaling part, just the Whalers. Yeah. They were no longer interested in doing ska music. That was kind of old hat. Uh, What they did is they took kind of like that rock steady beat that was popular at the time and slowed it down just a bit. What and, what is like a rock steady beat? How do you explain that? Like if, oh god. I don't you know, it's it I'd have to give examples of songs which I, you might not know, but okay. like but like it was kind of a a lot of the songs were like love songs, you know, boy and girl love love songs. Uh, okay. you know, and it kind of was meant for kind of like sexy dancing grinding a little bit and you know like it wasn't dirty but it was kind of like a little suggestive so and, it's um it's getting into reggae <laughs> yeah well i mean you know reggae is actually a slower beat okay yeah. reggae reggae is based on your heartbeat 
it is actually just a few beats faster than your heartbeat per minute. Okay, that chugga 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 reggae beat. Okay, what is is if you time it, it's actually a few beats uh, faster than your heart. And some people say that's why people like it. It has an effect. So um, let me tell you, at this time, were they starting to get like a little bit more political and more religious with, with their music? Well, because of the Rastafari faith, yes, uh, they definitely were more spiritual. Um, they, what they were doing was they were creating the sound and the, the lyrics that were written were uh, socially conscious uh, kind of lyrics um, talking about uh, uh, black history and slavery wow. sometimes in particular. Uh, colonialism, you know, living under, uh, uh, you know, the British or, uh, you know, they talked about living life in poverty. Okay. Which is what they knew. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't love songs. It was serious shit. And uh, it was a different thing. It was something different. It was controversial at the time. Uh, Wow. the, 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 The Jamaican government had only, you know, really broken away for about maybe eight, seven or eight years at that point from England, there was still a lot of like leftover ways of doing things in the past. There was still systemic racism, you know, and stuff like that. So you had, now you had a movement, the Rastas, okay. And also a sound to back it up. It was, you know, it was controversial. So what can you tell me about a guy named uh, Johnny Nash? And then there was Johnny Nash. Okay. Uh, you might know the song I Can See Clearly Now. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I Can See Clearly Now, The Rain Has Gone, right? Yeah. Um, And that was a big hit for him. And he was, uh, you know, the the Whalers and Bob Marley in particular um, would would be involved with Johnny Nash to try to write some music for him. Wow. There was was a, a moment there where he was getting really big and, uh, you know, selling a lot outside of uh, Jamaica and, uh, you know, Europe. He was, you know, the, I can see clearly now was a big hit in the U.S. Uh, I believe there was a movie he's, that he was yeah, supposed Hughes to be in. Oh, that, yeah? What's that? Yeah, was there a movie? There was a movie he was supposed to be in, and, and Bob and, and, and the guys were going to score some of the movie, but it, it bombed. It, it, it didn't do well. Wow. Yeah. You know, but when, when Bob came back in 67 – for the next few years, they recorded a lot and they recorded yeah. with a lot of different producers. Uh, by 70, they had recorded like early versions of Soul Rebel, Duppy Conqueror and Small Axe. Was that producer uh, Lee Perry? Lee Scratch Perry. Exactly. Yeah. Um, they had a, they had some additional musicians. They had a bass player named Aston Barrett. His nickname was Family Man. Yeah. And his brother was the drummer, Carlton Barrett. Um they were working on at that point in 71, there was a, um, uh, it was called the best of the whalers. Now it's a little confusing. The best of the whalers is not a greatest hits. It's not a combination no. of the stuff they had before. It was a new album and they just called it the best of the whalers. But, um, it, you know, it had, it had tracks written by, uh, by Peter. Okay. And tracks written by Bob. Some of them, they shared the, yeah. the, the writing, uh, the writing credits. Um, and it was basically at this point that Island Records, particularly Chris Blackwell, who was in charge of the label, decided yeah. to sign them to a deal. And it would be their first album would come out in 72 called Catch a Fire. All right. And Tosh had written most of the tracks of the Best of the Whalers LP, but, wow. only, but only two tracks on Catch a Fire. And it was uh, 400 years stop that train bob had written pretty much the rest of everything um by 70 and 72 they had recorded with several producers um and sometimes the rehearsal sessions would even be recorded and tosh would release some songs in the uk under a different name he used the name peter touch yeah well what was that what because he was because of the contract reason or anything was that why you know, I think that he might have been a little upset about maybe only two songs of his being used on the on the first album. Okay, the Catch a Fire album. Uh, 
all through the first two albums, which is Catch a Fire and, and Burning, uh, there was a growing problem in the band. And that was that Peter felt Bob was too much of the center of attention and that they were a band. And he was, you know, an equal writer in the band and a contributor. And he wanted his stuff to be performed. He didn't care if, if Bob sang. But you know he wrote the songs. Some of but the he songs. wanted to. He wanted to hear the song. It's almost like almost like um, George Harris kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he was the the quiet whaler, like like Harrison was the quiet beetle, you know. But but he really wasn't quiet, okay? Because he he spoke out, and he, you know, when Catch a Fire came out in '72, it was very well received. By '73, they would come out with the Burning album. Yeah, and. You know, he had these these problems within the group, but also tragedy would strike him because he would be in a car accident with his girlfriend. Uh, he had a girlfriend named Yvonne and he was driving her home one night in Jamaica and somebody was on the wrong side of the road and crashed into them. And Peter suffered a fractured skull, but Yvonne <laughs> died instantly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Tragic accident. And at the same time, not too long after that, Chris Blackwell who Tosh was trying to get him to release a solo album of his, okay, refused to do it. And, uh, you know, him and, and Chris Blackwell didn't get along. He Instead of calling him Blackwell, he called him White Worst. He used to, <laughs> to call him Chris White Worst. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But um, Bunny at the time was having problems, too, in the band because uh, he didn't like the – uh, the fact that they were going back and forth to the UK so much because the UK was where they were really kind of taking off. He didn't like the cold climate. Uh, he also didn't like touring in general, uh, even though they would go to the United States. Um, he didn't like it. He he didn't like the temptations on the road, being a strict Rastafari. It was just like he didn't like what he was seeing. I guess, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of stuff. Yeah, really dark stuff. But you know, when you're away from your family that yeah. long, you know, it takes a toll on you too. Yeah, I mean these these guys were were country guys. Okay, you know what I'm saying. So it was a big shock for them. It seemed like it seemed like Peter took it well as far as that. Yeah. But uh, it was just a matter of like he felt his songs weren't being used in the band. Bob was a little too much of the center of the attention. So remember, Tosh wrote on the Burning album. He wrote "Get Up, Stand Up." That's a yeah song. He wrote that song, okay? But Bob got all the attention. So him and Whaler would, would move on in 1974. He would leave the group. Um, later that year, Bob Marley would release Natty Dread. And that Another was, album, yeah. Yeah, great album. And that would be his first album with, like, a new Whalers lineup. So that was a toy. No, no Todd, no Bunny. This was just a whole new, different lineup. Exactly, and he called it Bob Marley and the Whalers. That was the yeah. first time that 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 okay. was used. You know, All right. that but, makes sense. Yeah, but like over the next like year and a half or so, Peter would release his first. He'd be working on his solo album. Yeah, uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you about that. Well, how how does um. Was for him to order get his uh, solo career? Was it hard for him? Did he get like a what's the roadblock just because he came from Bob Marley and the Waiters, or he came from the Waiters? Was that like did that no, was that something that held him back? I don't, or I that? don't think. No, no, I, I, I think if anything, it helped him. Okay, it helped him. Okay, yeah, sure. I don't think it was. Uh, you know, Bob and Peter, I, I think they always had at least a cordial somewhat close relationship even okay even after the breakup it was never a a feud it wasn't ugly okay from what i can what i've read i mean i think things were said over the, over the years there were some differences and stuff but i think in the end i think bob and, and and peter they they were they were good friends they loved each other you know so there was like no bad blood after not, everybody not, went not, their not nothing way. that yeah nothing that would uh you know, prevent them from talking or, you know, anything like that. They they did their own separate things afterwards. They didn't have a lot to do with each other musically. There was some shows they played together. I'll get into that. Uh, but, you know, there wasn't this big, dirty rivalry like some people like to think. 
Yeah, because I always told maybe, you know, once you leave a band, you know, there's always like some hard feeling and everybody's shitting on each other after it. I think I think a lot of times there is, but you're talking about deeply spiritual people and they can get past that usually, I would think. Rastas don't hold grudges too much. All right. That's good um, to know. Yeah. So yeah. let's move on. And uh, what did he do for his solo career? What you got for me about his solo career? Okay. Well, him? that would be that would be the classic Legalize It album. Okay. That okay. came out in '76. Uh, he was still affiliated with Island Records, but CBS Records had signed him as well. And uh, he recorded the album in Kingston, Jamaica. Okay. And, I mean, the title track. As soon as the album came out, the title track was instantly banned in Jamaica. Wow. Um, and I mean, the, the same day, you couldn't you couldn't hear it anywhere on the island. Uh, but what it seemed to do was as it, you know, more people heard it, even if it was underground, he just got more and more popular. OK. And uh, it just seemed to, to take off in other parts of the world. Um, there's a couple other outstanding tracks on there called one called Burial. And that was co-written with Bunny Whaler. Uh, a song called What You're Going to Do. That's one of my favorites. Uh, yes. a song called Why Must I Cry, which was written with Bob Marley. There was an older, an older song. And then there was an Ethiopian titled song called Exia Beha, which means Let Jah Be Praised in Ethiopian. Wow. Um, the album would get released in the United States in June, and it would peak at number 199 in the top 200. And it did a lot better in Jamaica, I can tell you that. The album sold, even though you couldn't hear it, the album sold a lot. Um, now you got to talk about the album cover. You've seen that album cover, right? Uh, is that the one with the Stepping Razor? No, no. Stepping Razor would come out later on. The album cover for Legalize It is him sitting in a a big field of of marijuana. Oh my God. Yes. That's like a legendary cover. You know what? Legendary. Yep. You want to hear something? They used to have a, there was, um, Oh man, like Record USA or Virgin Record, they had a big poster of him just with that cover. It's iconic. I mean, because it, it was like I remember that cover. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. That. Oh, I, that shit bring it back. So they might even have that same cover. That thing might have been in one of the Tower Records on seventy something Broadway. It might have been. It might have been. I don't recall, but definitely could have been. I mean, that's a famous album cover. Now you ever was, been to the Tower Record on Broadway? There used to be one. Like I do remember six- that. Yeah. And they had a big, they had that like a big giant thing with him. A big, a big size of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. You got to wonder what happened. in the middle of the fucking store. Guys. Yeah, right? You got to wonder what happened to some of those. Somebody's Ooh. got them in their house, you know? But um, that picture of of, of, of uh, Taj was photographed by Lee Jaffe. Hold Jaffe. on, Lee Mike. Jaffe Hold on. had photographed. Oh, oh Okay. Okay. Uh, I thought I was losing you. That's what happened. Oh, yeah, you you're all right. All right. All right. Now, that, that photograph was done by Lee Jaffe. And Lee Jaffe was also a friend of Bob Marley's who, you know, he photographed him as well. Um, Jaffe was also responsible for getting Tosh's band together. Okay. And his band had a name. It was called Word sound. What was power. uh? What was what was that? The name of it? That's like a that's like a symbolic, right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, he was he was using symbolism and stuff. Okay, the word, the sound, and the power. Uh, now he had two great musicians in that band. Uh, it was a you know there was probably about fifteen people in the band, but he had Sly Dunbar, okay, and Robbie Shakespeare, and they would eventually. Uh, Sly plays drums and, and Robbie plays bass. Uh, eventually, they would be members of Black Uru, okay, as well. And a million other bands and a million other compilations. And they've put out, produ- they've produced, they've done so many things in the reggae world, uh, Sly and Robbie. It's like, you know, you, you pick up any kind of reggae from the 70s and the 80s and even a little bit in the 90s, it's got their name on it. They're, they were involved with everything. Let me let me ask you another um, question. Was there a problem when um since he was um uh, also with CBS and Island Record, was there never any kind of um problem with that? No, I think they just they used each other for distribution purposes. I think he might have been under contract okay. with Island, uh, you know, to record, but then CBS would distribute 
Uh, Island for a while, I think, was a subsidiary okay. of Virgin eventually. Okay, but they, you know, a lot of those companies they all work together when it when it comes to like distributing worldwide. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, it was at this point in around 1977 on the. Uh, you know, on the popularity of legalize it, that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards got interested from the Rolling Stones. Uh, they had started their own label called Rolling Stones Records, and they were looking to sign some people. Uh, this act would be the only reggae act they would ever sign, but they would sign to Peter, Peter Tosh in 77, and he would release his second solo album called okay. Equal Rights okay. on that yep. label. All right. And, uh, on that album, he would record his version of Get Up, Stand Up. Uh, the title track's a classic, Equal Rights. Uh, Down Presser Man, a uh, song called Jog Guide, and the song Step and Razor. Yeah, Step and Razor, that's a big one. Yeah, and that, you know, Step and Razor was a cover, right? Yeah, from who was the cover from? I didn't. His, his, old, his old buddy, Joe Higgs. Okay, from when he was a kid, taught him how to sing a little bit, Joe Higgs. Um, from Trenchtown, and uh, that was like it's a, it's totally different, you know. It's more of like a R and B type song, you know, early on. But then he made it a reggae song. Um, that album would do really well, and it would being on the Stones label, it gave him a lot of prestige in the business. Um, Step and Razor would also be on the movie Rockers soundtrack. Yep, and that's one that's one of the best films ever about reggae in my opinion okay that's how i got the name rock a mike oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking funny so yeah, that's definitely yeah. a movie if you've never seen it definitely uh will you say it's definitely a good movie to check out if you got time yeah, yeah um i believe amazon prime has it you can watch it for free uh it's it's a great flick i've watched it a few times on how amazon. long you think it is about 90 minutes probably Nah, it's like a 90 minute movie, maybe maybe an hour and 40 tops. And uh, it's just about it's, this character. His name is Horsemouth. And he is, you know, he's trying to make a, a business of, you know, delivering reggae albums. And then there's other stuff that happens. There's a lot of famous musicians in the movie. Jacob Miller, uh, you know, a lot of great music in the film. Okay, and uh, I love that movie. I can watch it anytime. Wow. Um, yeah. Now, when the Stones signed him, okay, uh, they they signed him and he recorded that album. And then in the next year, in '78, he would record another album for that label called Bush Doctor. And it was on this one that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards decided to uh, contribute a little bit. Yeah. Okay, because they would do the the lead single was a Temptation song. Don't look back. Called Don't look back. Right, old Temptation song, and you know Tosh and Jagger did it like a duet. Very cool song. Very cool song. Uh, Keith Richards would play guitar on the title track. Okay, uh, Bush Doctor and a song called Stand Firm, which was another pretty big hit. Uh, Pick myself up. That's one of my personal favorites on that album. I think that was the, uh, I think tonight I was the lumped up song of the night. Yeah. And uh, in April of 78, Peter Tosh was invited to perform at the One Love Peace concert. Now, this was the show that featured Bob Marley. And it was the, the concert that he put on immediately after coming back from being out of Jamaica for a couple of years because the time he got shot. Yeah. And then he kind of went to England and he did the Exodus album and stuff. When he came back, this was something that the the, uh, the government had asked him to do. and Because they were still having a lot of violence in the streets, a lot of problems between the supporters of the two political parties that were running for office. And it was a, a show of, of peace to try to have this concert. Yeah, the One Love so, Peace concert. One Love Peace, right. And, you know... Tasha's performance, okay, would be classic because what he would do is he would go on stage with his band and he lit up a joint and he went on a speech, right? And he was standing right in front of 
Michael Manley and Edward Siaga, who were, you know, they were both vying for power as prime minister. Yeah. Okay. And he got right in front of them and just chastised them for not making marijuana legal. Okay. See what, what, what you got to realize is in Jamaica in those days, it was illegal to, to have it, to smoke it, right. To possess it, whatever, to grow it. It was totally illegal. But Rastafari pot being part of the, the, the religion in a sense. Okay. You know, it was used as a way to just lock these people up. Okay. So, you know, Rastas would, would, would get locked up for one joint. Wow. Half a joint. Okay. And getting locked up in Jamaica is no joke. There's a jail called general penitentiary and, uh, it's hell. It's a little, it's like a hole. It's total, it's total hell. So let me ask you a question. So, he's in the performance. He's at this kind and he lights a split. Right. He lights up a split. <laughs> Everything stops. Okay. He's, you know, and he just starts making this speech. And you could actually listen to it on YouTube. It's about seven minutes long. Wow. Okay. About how, you know, the politics and he, he you know, he, he was a character because he had a way of speaking. He always twisted the language around. Like instead of saying politics, he would say politics. Oh, wow. Okay. And he, instead of saying system, like the political system, yeah. he would say the political shitstem. Okay. So he would change the words around to make his point, and he was very good at that. He sounds like me. I change the words around all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, it's all that. It's all that marijuana. Man. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me ask you, Mike. After that, was the did they make him pay for that? Like, did they they did they ever get him and punish him for that? Well, thing? yeah. Uh, a few months later, he was in Kingston at a place called Skateland Dance Hall. And he would be brought in by the police. I think it was over one joint. Oh, shit. Okay. And they beat the fuck out of him in, in the place. He got beat up pretty bad, supposedly. You know, uh, this, you know, this would happen. This would happen a lot to, to, to Ross's for many years. It's only in the last, like, maybe, I want to say 10, 15 years that, that, that Ross's have had you know, a lot of respect given to them in, in, in Jamaica. Like some of them run, you know, some of them are in office now and stuff like that. And, uh, but for many years they were beaten by police and made to disappear and, you know, all kinds of shit. So where we are at this point, what's he's doing at this point, Tosh, after he got beaten? by, By 79, he would be working on the Mystic Man album, and that would come out that year. Yeah. Uh, still, he's still with the Rolling Stones label, and that would that album was a, a was a little bit more of a spiritual album, I think you could say. Like the the album cover kind of had a profile of him um, with his hands together in prayer, and you know there was a track called "Just Say No," uh, a track called "Rumors of War," which is a uh, a biblical phrase, "Rumors of War." Um, those were the two kind of outstanding songs, at least that I liked. It was at this point that he kind of was portraying himself as a healer or a prophet. Uh, he, he had success in the reggae genre at this point, but he, he was keeping his militant views in the process. Okay. okay? Uh, but, you know, what he would find is, you know, he could never achieve that level of his, of his friend Bob Marley. Okay, never could could quite get that big. I think that in those days, and it might even be true now, though it might be a little bit different. But I think in those days there was kind of a a conscious effort of the powers that be to hold back reggae music in general. Uh, Bob was something he was too big to hold back. Yeah, they couldn't do nothing. Um, but they could if no. you weren't as famous as him and not well known, they 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 could hold you back. Yeah, I mean, you know, they probably just allowed the one guy, the one guy, the one, but but you couldn't have a whole group of them. That was too threatening. It was, you know, th- th- there was there was a problem with it. I mean, you know, not just the, the the smoking weed part. It was what they were talking about. Okay, they they were talking about real freedom. They were talking about spirituality. 
okay, in a way that the West didn't promote, okay? You know, when you talk about Rastafari, it's, it's, it's not based, really, on any Western kind of theology. No. It's, not, it's not, you know, Roman Catholicism. It's not, okay? There's no pope. There's no church, okay? It's all, it's, it's, it's within yourself to find that, that uh, you know, that spirituality. Find it within yourself. Not by a priest telling you to go to confession on Saturday, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, it was a threat, you know. Uh, we, now it's many years later. People are different. They're more open-minded. But then it was a threat. Yeah. So, you know, I think that there was a conscious effort within the, you know, to use his words, the, the shitstem, okay, to try to hold back these people. And, and Tosh was militant. He was... Bob and him were different, okay? Bob was, don't get me wrong, Bob was militant. He had his his militant songs, but he also had his love songs. Yeah, of course. And he also had his spiritual songs that were really just kind of like, you know, quoting from the Bible or kind of putting it into a different context than the way Peter Tosh would write, okay? Tosh was... You know, if, if if Bob Marley was kind of like the spirituality of 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 reggae or, or spirituality of Rastafari religion, Tosh was like the sword or the conscience of it. You know, he was way more militant. Different different kind of writing, different kind of lyrics. You know what's right? This is almost like Dr. King and Malcolm X. It, good point. I never thought of that. You know why? Yeah. Then yeah, one guy was like, "Yo, this and that," and the other guy was like, "Nah, we got to do this." <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you know, Marley would be King, and 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 Tosh would be Malcolm X. Yes. Ab- absolutely, yep. that's kind of very good. Uh, very good analogy, Mister Rossi. Thank you, uh, Rock a Bike. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. So this guy was the first, but technically, this guy actually. He signed up with a pretty good record label. He had the Rolling Stone back here. He was still being held back. Well, you know, he it was just a matter of sales. I, I don't think that the Stones didn't do enough to help him, though he would accuse them of that. Okay. Uh, he even opened for them a few times. Yeah. Okay. And, and um, there's a great story um, that uh, my, old, my, my buddy Rick Rivets had told me one time a few years ago. He said uh, Tosh was supposed to play my father's place, which was a club in Roslyn, Long Island. Wow. And there was rumors all day that Mick Jagger was, and Keith Richards were going to show up. Okay. And the place got packed. And Tosh played, but Jagger never showed up. Wow. <laughs> showed up. Neither one of them did. But, uh, you know, so he had gotten to see him there which was cool because that was a spot that he used to hang out um but he was also he, in the video waiting for a friend yeah yeah he he was in that video um i'm gonna get into this now let me let me kind of give a little little backstory okay in 81 he would come out with the wanted dread and alive album and again that was on the rolling stones record label yeah it had the classic song coming in hot you know that song i love that song <laughs> Right, right. His son, uh, Tosh's son, just re-recorded it. I always say that. Days. Coming in hot. I'm coming in hot. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. And he had a duet with uh, with singer Gwen Guthrie, a song called Nothing But Love that was a hit. And uh, the title track, Wanted Dread and Alive, and a song called Rastafari Is, are both standouts. I love both of those. Now, EMI and Rolling Stone Records would release both of these of different versions sort of of the same album there was a few track differences but he was in the process of of i think breaking away from rolling stones records rolling stones records didn't really do that well okay for for its existence i'm not really sure why uh it was something that i think maybe they just didn't have their heart in to do you know, sign a lot of bands and make it a big label. They were kind of affiliated with EMI too at that point with distributing. So there would be kind of two versions of this album that would be out with like one or two track differences, which is kind of weird, but it's still, it sold well. Um, But like I was just saying, by the early eighties, Tosh and Jagger and, and Richards kind of began to have a falling out 
with each other. All right. Tosh and Tosh and, you know, I think he felt the Stones label didn't do enough. And at one point, even Keith Richards had let Tosh stay at his Jamaican house. Wow. Because he had, he still has a house, the same house in Jamaica. Um, but he let him stay there for a while. And Tosh brought a bunch of his friends. And I think it was, I don't think that was part of the deal. But, uh, and when Richards got back from touring, Tosh didn't want to leave. Oh, is that where they had the infamous fight? Well, yeah. I mean, they, 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 they had a fight and it depends on who you believe, but one side said, each side say the other one drew a gun on the other one. (laughs) Okay. So I don't know. I've heard the story that, uh, you know, Richards got so angry, he pulled a gun on him and said, get the fuck out. Okay. And he did finally. And then I've heard from the other side saying that Tosh drew a gun too. So I don't know what's true. But that was the end of their, their partnership. That's done. It's over. <laughs> uh, but he would make his, you know, final appearance with the Stones in the in the video "Waiting on a Friend," which we all know was shot on St. Mark's. Yep. Between First and A, right there in front of the Physical Graffiti Building. Okay, so you know it's classic. He's kind of one of the one of the rosters that's sitting on the stoop when you know, when Jag is sitting there singing. It's cool. It's a cool video. It's a very cool video. Oh, yeah. It's classic. Um, in 83, he would bring a new album out called Mama Africa. And you'd have a, the title track, which was great. Uh, a track called Glass House, which I love. His version of Johnny Be Good, the Chuck Berry song. Yep. Uh, a song called Where You Gonna Run. A song called Peace Treaty. Um, this would be totally on EMI Records, this album. Okay. And, you know, he was he was selling records, but he would decide to go on a little bit of a hiatus at this point. Uh, I've heard that he had an ulcer. OK, and he wasn't feeling well. Uh, and he was looking to kind of like restructure his life. So he actually went to Africa. Wow. Yeah. And he looked up uh, medicine men, traditional medicine men. And he was there for a while and, and, and healing himself. And he also you know, had told his friends that he found ways to, to do shape shifting. Very strange. Like, like, you know, these medicine men would say, if you take this root or this leaf or whatever, a plant, if you make a tea out of it or eat it or whatever, and on a certain day at a certain time, you would be able to change into something else. And Tosh said that he saw a medicine man, turned from a human to a tiger to a snake and back to a man. That was good weed. Had to be, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it might have been on peyote. It might have been peyote. Yeah, he was tripping balls, probably. Yeah. Well, he believed it, okay? And uh, one thing he was also always interested in from, from the beginning of his recordings was um, the, the shit that was going on in South Africa, the apartheid, okay? And he had a song called Apartheid, all right? And his label, EMI, would be distributing records in South Africa. And he didn't like that, okay? He didn't want to take any money from the people of South Africa. I mean, he knew, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about it, it's like, well, maybe it would have been good if his music got there. Yeah. You know, but I think that he probably realized that anybody, you know, wasn't going to be able to pay for his records anyway. They didn't have the money. So he didn't want the record label making money off that as well. So he would spend a lot of time uh, fighting with EMI on, on, on that to, to have them stop selling the records to, to South Africa. Um, he would do some shows at that time regarding apartheid, these anti-apartheid themed concerts. Um, in 87, he would release his last solo album. Okay. So he took a couple of years off, but this album was called no nuclear war and it would be a big hit. There would be a title track. Uh, there'd be a video with that. Uh, there was a song called, uh, Nagoa jail, uh, there was a song called Fight Apartheid, a song called Vampire, uh, not to be confused with the Black Uru song Vampire, but still a good song. 
Um, and it was this that he would finally get some well-deserved recognition because he'd win a Grammy. Yeah, that's what I say. He won a Grammy. Like it was, he was uh, he won a Grammy for best uh, reggae performance. Right, right. Now at that point, his career was was primed for a big revival. Okay, uh, but it was 1987, and this sadly would not happen. Uh, on September 11th, 1987, he had returned home to Jamaica, and uh, he was there with his wife, and, and three men on motorcycles uh, came to the house, invaded the house, and, and demanded money. Now, did you read about this? Yeah, this is, this is kind of sad what happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, he told them that he, he didn't have any money, and uh, he they would tie him up and torture him. And this went and on for a few hours. This went on for a few hours. And what they did, too, is, like, his wife was there, and they made her lie on the floor face down. And, uh, you know, in the middle of all this, two friends show up, okay? And it was a guy named... Uh, uh, Wilton Doc Brown and a DJ, a famous DJ named Jeff. His nickname was Free Eye, last name Dixon. All right. Now, you got to realize too, Tosh knew the head gunman. Okay. The head gunman was a guy named Dennis Lepo Loban. All right. And he was a guy that had gotten out of, a, out of prison and he knew Tosh from when he was a kid. And Tosh, when he, this guy got out of jail, he gave him a bed. He gave him a place to stay. He gave him, I guess, some money, and he, he got him a job. He helped him out. So it's fucked up that this guy got help from Tosh, and here he is. Yeah, that's crazy, him. man. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, all these people, when, when, when Dixon and Brown showed up, they were all held hostage in the, in the, in the house. And uh, the friends didn't have any money on them either. And Lobbin got mad and he started firing the gun just randomly. And when he did that, he, he shot Tosh in the head twice. And actually, the wife, Marlene, got shot in the head, too. But she lived and she wasn't shot badly, but it's st still shot in the head. And uh, she actually played dead as the as the gunmen were leaving. She pretended to be dead. Yeah, the Dixon other guys died. had died as well. Yeah, Dixon and Dixon and Brown. Yeah, he died also. Okay, now uh, there was also uh, Dixon's wife Yvonne was there, and Tosh's drummer Carlton Davis, and another musician named Michael Robinson. They would all be wounded and survive, but you know they were there as well for this. Um, Loban actually surrendered to the police and the other two guys that were with him surrendered. Now they were all interrogated and Loban pleaded innocent. Now in my research with this, it's unclear what happened to the other two guys. I think that they might've pleaded down. Okay. Because they never really, I don't think they ever went to jail. All right. But Loban pleaded innocent and they would have a trial. It would be closed doors. Okay, a closed doors trial, and he would be sentenced to death, which in those days in '87 in Jamaica, they still had. Yeah, I was I was reading that they hanged that motherfucker. Hung. Right. Well, they didn't because the sentence would be uh, commuted in 1995, yep. and he's still in jail. So I don't think they have the death death penalty anymore. But I got to talk to you about a movie, okay? That you know for everybody listening to the show is this the Stepping Razor Tosh there's a real yeah Stepping Razor it's called the Red X Tapes okay and a couple of years after uh, Tosh had passed away um, they found these tapes cassette tapes of him talking and it's called the Red X Tapes because he mentions in them how on every formal like you know, document that he had. Okay. There was always a red X where he was supposed to sign. Okay. You know, like uh, anything, any kind of government document or whatever that he had. 
on his signature, there was always a red X next to where he was going to put his signature. And I think he took it as, you know, it means something. Okay, like they have him marked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So in this documentary, it's, it's, very, it's very good. Uh, it actually won a couple of awards in 1994. Um, it, it, it deals with the death and of the murder, I should say, of Taj. Uh, and it's interesting because they, they, there's somebody that spoke to Laban in jail, and he still swears his innocence. He says he knew nothing about it that uh, it, it wasn't him, okay? The funny thing is, is the, the people that survived didn't know wow. him, okay? And, and it's unclear if during the whole interchange in the house, uh, you know, everything, interaction in the house, it's unclear if, if, if Peter Tosh actually even acknowledged who he was, okay? So... Uh, you know, there, there's some a part of this documentary kind of goes into a little bit of a conspiracy about the death. OK, was it really Lobin? OK, that did it. Or was he just a patsy? And did they want to kill Tosh? Did somebody want to kill Tosh in the couple of years before he was murdered? Wow. He had premonitions of being killed. He, he felt somebody there, there were people after him, he felt. And but, you know, uh, you know, I'm not quite sure if he was involved with anything underhanded. There's no there's no you know information about that. So I don't know who would be after him and why. But, you know, listen, we you know, we, when we did the Bob Marley uh, yeah. show and when he got shot, there's a lot of weird stuff about that. Were they, was it the CIA? Was it was it the uh, the J uh, the J JLP from from Jamaica trying to do it, or was it Manley's party trying to do it? The PNP. Mike, you, you know, ever heard the thing about the M sixteen guitar? Right. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, very cool. In okay, the, what can you tell me about that? <laughs> video. A fan, a, well, um, yeah, there's a well, a fan made it for him. I think. Okay, it was a M sixteen shaped rifle that was a guitar. Okay, and he made it for him. He gave it to him, and I think he played it on stage a little bit. Yeah, the name the tour, of the guy was I think lost. Bruno Kuhn. He went to the hotel in which Tom right. was staying. Came yeah. to have a gift for him. The gift was a built. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gave he gave him the guitar, and and he had it, but then it got lost somehow during a tour. And it would show up years wow. later in like an auction, I think, or something. Yeah, yeah. So somebody that's got it. So that's yeah, all that's I got a, you, that was a very uh, that was a lot of history you gave us there, like a few couple of years. He died pretty young, right? Was he forty two when he passed away? I think he was uh, about forty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still a young guy. Uh, he was definitely on the on the verge of a, you know, coming back a little bit after a few years of, of not releasing anything. He had a Grammy. I'm sure Think that he would have been a lot bigger. He would, he would he probably been up there with Bob Marley. <laughs> could be, could be. Definitely by now, it's it's possible. It's a shame. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I always heard that people were pleading, by. and some people say that the gun just went off. Also. Yeah, I think the, the, the gunman was frustrated, angry, and the gun went off. You know, I that's, you know, if you got an itchy trigger finger, man, that can happen with these So, guns Mike, what sometimes. do we have next for these good people next week? What do we got? Oh, yes, uh, we have Little Richard. Yeah, wow. Just passed away a couple Dude, weeks that, some people call that guy like the godfather of yep. rock yep. and roll. You know that? A lot of people call he him. He absolutely is. He's, uh, yeah, I mean, fascinating uh, career. We'll get into his early years in the, in, the, in the 50s and how he would give it all up to preach and then 
come back and do <laughs> again and then give it up again. <laughs> he was a character. So. He was a character, little Richard. He's, he he was one of the one of the originators of of, of rock and roll, and and uh, it'll be cool to do a little show on him. You know, people don't talk about him much anymore, but now yeah. that he passed away, um, so to everybody, Mike, how can they reach you? And um, I think we're gonna have a page for the rock show soon, right? Yeah, I hope by the time this show is up, um, we're going to have a page for The Rock Show on Facebook. Uh, there'll be more information on that as that happens. Um, I'm going to put something together. And I want it to be like a little bit interactive. Uh, I'd like to do a song of the day and all that stuff like I always do. But also, you know, we might talk a topic and everybody that's that's part of the group, you can give me your opinions Give me ideas on shows, people you want me to talk about. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll tie it in with the other shows. Mike, let so me ask it, a question. Wouldn't right now be going. a great time for a whole brand new punk revival? Think about how it is right now. Like, I'm like, yeah. this would be wow. a great time for, like, a real big people getting together. Just bring back the punk scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean... You know, this pandemic is is still on. The city's not opened yet. I'm it sure by the time be. the show is up, it will be, I hope. Uh, uh, but, you know, we have uh, craziness going on. Okay, not only do we have the pandemic, we have this this problem yeah. with the cops that shot the guy in Minneapolis. Uh, tonight, tonight uh, they uh, arrested a bunch of people in Union Square. There was a lot of angst out there. And in the 70s, there, were a lot of, there was a lot of angst. So yeah, you know, it would be kind of prime for a for a, another, you know, real punk scene. But where would well, they, they play? No, with the way they go you know, put some money together, man. We open a new fucking venue. Who the hell knows? Well, you, you know something? I heard that a bunch of clubs nationally, I don't know which one specifically, but they've gotten together to lobby the federal government for bailout money. Because they they think that like there will not be any venues anymore. That hey, can look at the Copa. The Copa's going soon. Yeah, right. And and think about how many venues we have out there. You can really go see people play. That was dying out. Also, there's, there's a lack of it now. There's a lack of it. You know, before all this happened. I don't know, man. I mean, there's there's gonna have to be. I mean. You know, they'll just be fucking house parties. <laughs> you know, black flag, you know, playing house parties. Oh, man. So, Mike, how can people reach you? Oh, and I got to tell you, you did a great job on that groupie review. So if if um, you're listening to the show, look up uh, Mike Baker. And he did a great review on the groupies. And I think we're going to probably have that on the page, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll do some record reviews when we get this page up. I'll try to do at least one a week, if not more. Uh, you know, when I, I, I get a lot of new music and, uh, you know, I get stuff mailed to me. And, and you know, I'll, when I get stuff, we'll, we'll talk about it. The Groupies was a good one. There was not, not a lot known about this band. And, and they just came out with, a, you know, a live album. Uh, from I think it's from 1967, 68. Uh, the groupies were a New yeah. York City band from the mid 60s that were very popular, but never had released anything. Only one single, a song called "Primitive," and uh, this this collection. So you will you recommend the album? So, yeah, right. That was that was a good. Absolutely, yeah. It's just called the groupies "Primitive," and uh, you can get it on I believe Green. I wonder Vinyl if I could find that on um, on Apple. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, because right I, I either you know me either Spotify or Apple. I'm like I'm like connected to those things. That's where I get all my music. Yeah, and yeah. I, once you yeah. once we get the That's site cool. up for the page, I'll probably do some review on some modern music. Probably bring a little, do some hip hop and shit on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a few other, you know. I'll get, I'll get into some. I'll, I'll do a little reggae stuff. There'll be, a, yeah. You know, a if anybody knows me, we're very rock. diversifying music. We listen to all kind of fucking music everywhere. Like, yeah, you know? we're all yeah. fucking play. As long as, as, long as it's so, cool. um, Rocker Mike, how can they get uh, a hold of you? 
Okay, I'm on Instagram, RockerMike212. I'm on Twitter, RockerMike3. And Facebook under Michael Baker. And hopefully we'll have a new page up soon and we'll give you the wow. info about that. Um, I am all over the place. Where I'm on Instagram, you, Facebook, um, uh, YouTube, and pretty much all over social media. Just look me up. And I'm all over the place of social media. And uh, yeah. I'm getting lumped up. Everything's lumped, getting up. lumped and, up. Um, pretty much, um, pretty soon, hopefully, we'll do a show uh, with the two of us in the same place together. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be soon. Uh, we got a show, uh, like I said, on Little Richard coming up. Um, a show on the Pretty Things. Uh, a few other, making of the first Doors album. That'll be big. We're doing a show on uh, the goth band Bauhaus. So, you know, a lot of different, different yep, shit coming definitely. up. One of those will be But Mike, thank you for your information and everything we got. And I'll see you next week for another episode of The Rock Show. And remember, don't get drunk, get yep. lumped up. See you soon. Don't get drunk, get lumped up.